Hello. Hello. Uh, welcome to Phase One Founder Podcast slash Video Log. Uh, <laughs> well, it's both. So. Yeah. Uh, where we two twenty something try to explore the world of startups and entrepreneurship through our own journey. Oh, hi, I'm Tejas. And I'm Matthew. And today we have a guest. A very special guest. A very special guest joining. Yes. uh, Dr. Brandon Price, who is the Ben J. Rogers Chair of Entrepreneurship at Lamar University, but also has over 30 years experience in the biopharmaceutical industry and uh, works a lot with other startups in the medical bio biomedical field. He traveled um, thousands of miles just to do this interview. Exactly. Absolutely. Just, just Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, Dr. Price, do you want to give a little intro on yourself, a better intro than... Sure. Well, just briefly, uh, I've all my life been involved in startup companies in the, mm-hmm. in the medical space, healthcare, that sort of thing. Um, it helps sometimes to have some presence in a big company. So I've worked with Johnson and Je- worked for Johnson Johnson, also mm-hmm. Cardinal Health, and that gives you a certain perspective of why you want to really be in small companies and mm-hmm. not large companies. But uh, besides the uh, work in in the corporate world, I teach entrepreneurism at universities in Mexico where I live, and as well um, here in the United States and other places from time to time. Mm-hmm. So that's nice. my background. Cool. Well, thank you for joining us today. Um, so from last time, we were actually talking about ideation and the process of how we formed the idea for Spark and some of our previous other ideas that didn't work yep. out as well. Yep. And so we wanted to get some of your perspectives on that, on how, uh, for you personally, ideation, how your process of ideation works or the way you teach in your classes. And probably also, since this is episode two, and most likely no one's heard episode one. Yeah. Hopefully they did. But uh, what, what is your definition of ideation, yeah. and then what, what is your idea and thoughts about it? Okay. Well, ideation is a process by which you convert uh, something in your head, an idea, to uh, a product or a service that people actually are willing to pay for. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and meets a particular need and, and uh, depending upon how you think about it or how I teach about it, it's really like a process flowchart yeah. and I teach it in that, in that manner. So, you know, so it's really a series of questions you ask yourself yeah. right? or you ask of the market. So you have a good idea. Well, the first question might be, well, does anyone else, uh, okay, uh, what's the idea for? Mm-hmm. What's, what's the field it's in? Mm. I don't know what that would be. And then, then the next question is, well, is there someone else doing this? Mm-hmm. And, and each question has a yes or no answer. Right. And depending upon whether it's yes or no, you might branch off into other, other phases of the process. But for example, if it's an idea that uh, nobody has thought of, it's mm-hmm. solving a, a problem or solving something that nobody else has addressed, and, and, and the answer is nobody else is doing it, then, then the next question might be, well, um, why would they want yeah, their solution? Yeah. And so it's really a series of asking these yes/no questions, and at the mm-hmm. end of which, uh, which might, if you do it in reality, it might take a few days or a few weeks or a few months. Yeah. Collecting mm-hmm. data, but at the end of the day, it's the, the, the real serious question: is is your idea 
for a product or service something that somebody needs and is willing to pay for. Yeah. And if the answer is yes to both of those, then get going. Nice. Yeah, nice. Um, you did bring up this interesting point because especially in such an information-heavy age, you're bound to find some of your ideas that already is being done by someone or has a similar concept to you. So how, in your perspective, do you go around that? Or what are something else to look at from that point onwards? Well, if the answer to the question is somebody else doing something like this yeah. is yes, mm -hmm. then the question is, how are you better? Mm -hmm. and, and better, of course, it's not how you think you're better. Yeah. It's how the people who might buy your product or service think yeah. it's better. Right. So you have your concept, let's say this is your product and, and there's, a, there's another product which does essentially the same thing. Mm -hmm. So you aren't going to go anywhere unless you have some uh, competitive advantage, right? right? So that, that might be price, it might be function, some function or some mm -hmm. benefit that that product gives to the customer that is not existent elsewhere. Right. And so you think about that and say, okay, these are the three or four things or whatever mm -hmm. that I think make my product better. And then you actually talk to people. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that's, the, that's the most important thing yeah. is talking to people. Now, you don't need to go talk to 100,000 people <laughs> or hire uh, you know, for $100,000 a focus group. Right. I mean, there are companies that do that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And people like uh, General Mills or... Yeah or J&J &J will do that sort of thing, but for an entrepreneur, it's a matter of talking to people. Yeah. Depends upon your idea, of course. Exactly. I feel like more people need to do that. Yeah. They, they, they enclose themselves in their office yeah. or their bubble yeah. you know, somewhere, and then they just mm -hmm. focus on what they think the market needs, and they never talk to anyone and, you know, and, and that, that was one That's of the things problem. that shocked us during the, the summer uh, I-Corps, well, uh, OwlSpark slash i yeah, program yeah. was that we were required to do, what was it, 180? 100, no, 100 interviews. Oh, oh 100, 100 yeah. interviews, but yeah. we, we, we ended did, up doing we did, uh, yeah. 180 plus. So that process was kind of shocking at first, but afterwards we saw that this is, this is the absolute only way. You have to talk to the market. Well, and your customers. Well, the whole notion of talking to the market and under and letting the market react yes. to what you're proposing is the whole concept behind this lean startup. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah. That's the, that's another whole segment. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. But but knowing what and and I can guarantee you when you, I don't know what your experience was mm -hmm. in your process, but you will end up in a different place than you completely. started. Yeah. Because completely. Because you didn't yeah. really know yeah. what the market wanted until you start talking exactly. to the market. Yep. And that is, that is most helpful. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't need to be you know, 100 people or 100 companies. It, it just needs to help you begin to think about it and test your exactly. ideas. Yeah. And then you mutate. You change your idea. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you, you will be in a different place than where you thought you would be once yep. you finish that process. That's really important. Yeah. Oh, definitely, um, because we actually, you know, the whole, our idea sort of changed or the way we were going to go after our customer completely changed over the summer after just talking to um, over 100 people. But, you know, we were in this for helping as a social entrepreneurship venture, but it's after the whole summer program, we ended up changing our first market 
uh, to sailboats because that's where the need was, you know, the immediate need was required yeah. rather than going through the channels of bureaucracy and other stuff, which would make it a little harder to get into, but would it would take a lo- little longer time. And so that's why kind of why we decided to go with this route first while we work through the other channels in the other markets during well, that time. The guy who wrote Lean Startup, a fellow named mm-hmm. Eric Reese, uh, writes in his book, he says, most startups fail not because they don't build something mm-hmm. or don't create a product. Mm-hmm. They're all, anyone can create a product. Yeah. Most startups fail because they create something that nobody wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's the reason for failure. And, and he has some numbers that, that support that. But, but that's really true. Yeah, uh, you can spend, waste a lot of time building something right. that nobody wants. And then, then you're you know you're in, you're in bad shape, yeah. and and the important uh, one important thing is that not, that's not just true for entrepreneurs. That's true for GE or or, yeah, or exactly. Ford Motor Company, yeah. yep. and and these guys are all going in this direction toward they have different names for it in mm-hmm. their own company, but mm-hmm. but testing stuff at early stage in front of customers yeah. and uh, getting yeah. their feedback. It's this is the, probably the most important thing you can do. Before you make, before you raise a whole lot of money to build something. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, from ideation, once you have the idea, once you know your customer, uh, you have a good idea of who's going to buy this or want this. In your process, what is the next step after that? How how do you go from okay, I have this idea, I have this customer, where do I go from this? Excuse me. Well, it really depends upon what the product is and how you intend to launch it. Right? Mm-hmm. So, you if you're a, a phone app or something like right. that, maybe you can develop that and begin testing that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Excuse me, in small groups. But if you're uh, if your product is a medical product, yeah. right, mm-hmm. and you need you're you're in in front of a regulatory agency, mm-hmm. you have to cut. Mm-hmm. Uh, ask yourself, can I find some investors who will buy into this idea? And you need to write a business plan. You mm-hmm. need to find that plan. And going to competitions like at Rice and other universities mm-hmm. is a really good way to help help that along. Yeah. Okay. One of the things <coughs> I actually wanted to ask you was over the summer we were we were part of that Elsewhere program and there was a company there which they were going into this uh, this process with, you know, okay, we have this idea, we have like a prototype, and we want to start a business, but our ultimate goal is to get bought out. So they were actually starting the business with the pure intention of selling. They had a very specific buyer mm-hmm. in mind. So that was, that was interesting to me because I've never encountered that before. Someone purposefully creating a business with the sole intention of, you know, selling to a specific buyer. So, I mean, that process is very different than wanting to start your own company and, you know, hire a sales team and marketing, you know, and then go that traditional route. So what's, is, is that something that is exclusive to the medical or biotech or, uh, like field or like what what's your thought on on okay. doing that kind of business well <clears throat> when you think about a business and if you're an entrepreneur and you think the uh, and if you were to write a plan to raise mm-hmm. money let's mm-hmm. say an important part of that plan would be something called the exit strategy yes right yeah. 
And the exit strategy doesn't mean how you're going to exit the business. It could mean that. It mm -hmm. means um, how are your investors going to get their money back? Yeah. Okay. And that could be uh, by growing it and going public, and mm -hmm. then they can they have liquidity because they own shares. Right. Or it could be growing it to a point where it has real value and selling it to somebody. Mm -hmm. Typically, entrepreneurs think about this, and they they have in mind an exit plan, mm -hmm. and and you your exit may be for your investors is become public. Right. And then you guys stay on, you run the company, you grow it, you have mm -hmm. a career, and a lot of companies work that way. Yeah. Uh, but I would say more companies work the other way, mm -hmm. where they are more startup companies, where not that they have a particular buyer in mind, I, that's kind of unusual probably, yeah, yeah. but that you know, if I create this product, I think there are four or five companies that would be interested in buying it. And so then the trick is to, to, you want them to buy it when it has its maximum value. Yeah. Now, if it's a medical, uh, like a drug, that would be when it has gone through phase two human clinicals. Okay. Because uh, anyone who's going to buy your product, your service or whatever, mm. uh, wants it uh, at minimum risk. Right. Yeah. Right? right. And so the earlier you on, if you haven't tested in front of customers, there's a high risk. Yeah. In your case, with Atmospark, if you have tested it and you now have some distributor uh, selling and your, your sales are nice, re, nicely mm. growing, mm. that's a point of it might be a very valuable for someone to buy. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a medical drug, it's the end of phase two clinical trials. If okay. you're a medical device, it's probably uh, having a regulatory approval and uh, a small but growing customer base. Okay. Okay. Uh, so for each kind of product, each kind of enterprise, mm. that point of good value is going to be different. Yeah. But entrepreneurs think about that right. and, and have to think about the exit. Now, if you're using your own money or your mother's money yeah. or your brother's money <laughs> and you're doing this, then you don't worry about those things. Okay. Your brother, it might be tough at Thanksgiving <laughs> yeah. over the dinner table, but, but you don't have to worry about investors and right. exits. Yeah. But most people do. And okay. so you need to think about that. Okay. Actually, I had a point on that because I know a lot of people talk about investors need to exit, but I've always, always had this potential uh, line of thinking is, why is it necessary to completely exit from the business? Or like, why can't someone just buy out their investors and then continue to run the sustainable business themselves and grow into uh, grow into something rather than just being bought out and being merged, which is sort of the trend nowadays. Okay. Then, right. Yeah, kind of going off of what he's saying, it seems that, either, yeah, like the trend these days, or it, it's almost, it, it almost seems like the only thing that people want, well, investors want is IPO or buyout. Like yeah. that is the only two options that startups can are allowed to do these days. Mm -hmm. And so Tejas and I both kind of agree on yeah. this. Like, it just feels, you know, as, as startup founders, like it feels like that's, that's not what we want. And that we feel that that shouldn't be what the entrepreneurship startup, you know, uh, community that those shouldn't be the only two options. Yeah. Like it should be okay to run as a successful business. Like, you know, in, in the case of like Snapchat, for example, 
resisting that buyout from mm-hmm. Facebook and then continuing to be their own mm-hmm. profitable business. And in that case, they did IPO, but um, they resisted the buyout. And that, that's, you know, something that, uh, I mean, no startup, you know, no startup founder yeah. that I know would ever resist a buyout. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, what, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Like, should, shouldn't startups be allowed to continue on or like what, why is it that buyout or IPO is the only option in this space? Well, <clears throat> they aren't the only option, right? I mean, there's probably four or five options, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. could be you sell, you 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 close it down and sell the assets. I mean, that's mm-hmm. an exit. <laughs> that's an exit. <laughs> that is an exit. It's not, yeah, they're all not preferable, but options. yeah. But, but I think your question is why can't I continue to be a private company yeah. and and grow it and and well. You as the entrepreneur may may wish to do that, but if people are investing, they're investing for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, so if, if it's your brother or your mother investing, well, that reason might be different than if it's um, an institutional investor, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so uh, vent- angels, yeah. uh, you know that, about them, and yes. you know about venture capitalists and other forms yes. of investment. They all have investment. They're using other people's money, the VCs and the angels mm-hmm. using money, and they're investing because they want to see a return. Right. And so if you can figure out a way to get them that return, mm-hmm. uh, and not under the guise of selling your company or going public, then so be it. If you have other investors who are willing to buy them out at a multiple mm-hmm. yeah. uh, after two years or three years, that might be a, a, a way to do it. Mm-hmm. But things don't usually happen that way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, so, <clears throat> so usually you need to think of a way to gain, have some liquidity uh, for your investors. Okay. And because they have a plan. And yeah. their idea will be something like, if you're a biotech investor uh, and you invest in high-risk things, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the typical institutional investor will make 10, let's say, make 10 investments with their fund. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, they'll expect uh, three or four to go head south and they lose mm-hmm. their money mm-hmm. they expect three or four to uh, kind of break even yeah. and they expect one or two to bring in 10x yeah, yeah. and that's how they make to, their money to pay for the if rest that happens, the losers. then they, they get an acceptable rate annual rate of return right. for yeah. their investors uh, for the people putting their money in. and that might be depending upon the company a two-year thing or a three-year thing yeah. or a five-year mm-hmm. thing so that relates to an important point when you're looking for money you need to match what you need mm-hmm. with with what is the what is the way that particular investor or yes. investment group is thinking right and so uh, but at the end of the day they need to get their money out yeah, yeah. Exactly. and if you can figure out a way beyond an IPO or a buyout more power to you mm-hmm. yeah uh, but those are few and far between exactly. so for people just starting out companies or you know early stage products the difference uh, not a lot of people know the difference in between angel investors seed investment and uh, venture mm-hmm. capital VCs mm-hmm. and we, we've learned uh, extensively that uh, VCs are very aggressive mm-hmm. they, I mean in some cases you know as mm-hmm. soon as they invest in you I mean they will get rid of the CEO the the, the founder you know mm-hmm. within like six months we've mm-hmm. heard and they're they're just they seem so aggressive and they they have a very short timetable and you know it's understandable because they they are using other people's money and you know mm-hmm. they have a fund that needs to return some mm-hmm. percentage you know every quarter yearly or two years so 
for an early on investor starting right now, what would your advice be, like who to go to? You mean not as an investor, but as an owner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, as well, so someone okay. listening, like a startup sure. owner, like should I go to a venture capital firm that you know specializes in apps or biotech or you know, well, or should I go to an angel? But I think uh, the, the angel money, angels are mm-hmm. just rich people or people with wealth who want to invest. Yeah, and and like the idea of risky enterprises, and and typically they are. Uh, they could be groups. There are there are angel groups all over the place, mm-hmm. and it might be a group of doctors who want to invest in medical stuff, right. mm-hmm. or it might be a group of high tech with people. like similar interests. Yeah, and, with similar interests yeah. because they typically will want to invest something they, they, they know about. Yeah, and they might even be sophisticated to hire a manager or somebody to help them, you know, with financial savvy. But typically, it's just a group of good guys, you know, yeah. or good gals who get together True. and. And so that's the, the best money to get, okay. <clears throat> because early on, because typically, you know, it depends upon what your need is too. Yeah. If you think you need a hundred or two hundred thousand to get yourself to whatever your next milestone is, that's a very convenient way. Yeah. If you go to any kind of institutional investor and venture capitalist would be an example of that. Um, you can go to them too, but uh, they will have a uh, sweet spot. Yeah. In other words, they only want to make a two million to five million dollar investment. Yeah. They uh, they will uh, expect a return a certain amount of time. And to your point about them being aggressive, mm-hmm. uh, they might very well be aggressive and invasive. They'll strike a hard bargain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You your goal is to sell as little of your company as you can yes. exactly. to get the money in the door that you need. Angel investors or private. In friends of, of, of your family mm-hmm. or your dad or somebody, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. are the way to go if you can do that. Yeah. But there are, uh, if you are in Beaumont or if you're in Austin or if you're in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. there are angel groups all around. That's true. And it's a matter of, of finding out who these angel groups are and finding one that invests, is interested in your space, mm-hmm. wherever your space is. And going to them, and you might be surprised how successful you can be. But you got to be sharp, dress yes. for success, of have yes. the full plan, and, and be ready to answer their questions. But oh, yeah. Angel first, and maybe if you're lucky, you'll never have to get a venture capital. <laughs> because they will be aggressive. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I think we've always wanted that route is just ideally uh, just have an angel and hopefully would never require a second round. And able to self-sustain ourselves. I know we're being idealistic, but that is something we wish for Atmospark to have. Do you, do you remember the the story about like uh, VCs where, uh, I can't remember like what lecture it was, but uh-huh. there was someone that said they went into a VC meeting asking for like too low yeah. of an investment and they turned them away mm-hmm. because they asked for too little money. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, you know, I, I only need a million dollars to get my idea, you know, to market. Yeah. And, you know, they don't, in, like you said, they don't invest in anything under 2.5 or something like that. So they said, no, you know, go away. Like, we're not interested. Well, there, because- might, there might be another part of that. And that is that they know that it's going to cost $2 million to do that. And yeah. you come and asking for a million. So uh, they don't think very highly of you. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're not sophisticated enough. And right. So... So they, they know it's going to cost $2 million, so they, they'll turn you away. Uh, but, uh, but it's important to really be able to justify what your needs are. Mm-hmm. And again, uh, 
VCs can be very helpful. The, the nice thing about VCs, if you're looking for five or ten million, say yeah. a little bit bigger amount of money, is that they bring connections. Oh yeah, right. Mm -hmm. And and uh, and, so. and VCs have uh, uh, their own interests and yeah. their own points of view. Again, I'm more familiar with the medical healthcare space, but in the healthcare space, they will know who the best provider of services is. Mm -hmm. A contract manufacturing organization. Uh, the other thing VCs bring is connections overseas. Oh yeah. Right? So, uh, and and you'd be surprised how much money is lurking in Europe True. for oh, yeah. investment in American good ideas. Mm -hmm. And they bring those kind of connections. So that can be very valuable. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Well, I think that's our most of what we wanted to cover today. Cool. Yeah. But we just had a few final few questions just to ask you for to learn more about you, but so we wanted to know what, what motivates you every day. What what makes you go for the entrepreneurial journey? Well, uh, what motivates me is solving problems. Mm -hmm. I'm actually a scientist by by training, right. and so s scientists and engineers are kind of motivated by solving problems, mm -hmm. right? Uh, maybe they're equations. Yeah. <laughs> they come in the form of equations. True. But no, um, what gets me up every day and why I still do this is that at the end, at least in, in the, uh, for me personally, to be interested, I, it has to be a, a technology that is new and innovative mm -hmm. yeah. and it's going to solve a real problem. Yeah. And the kinds of, in the healthcare space, I'm interested in, in diagnostic technologies and new drug technologies. Mm -hmm. uh, and so... Uh, that that is the development of such a product is a lengthy process. It's fraught with detail yeah. and regulatory <laughs> supervision, yeah. all of that. And each of those aspects of product development is really challenging. Mm -hmm. um, a company I'm working with now has a, uh, uh, a treatment for brain cancer, you know, which yeah. is really mm -hmm. deadly, uh, and and has clinical data from Japan that is stunning. But we need to register in, with the US FDA. Mm -hmm. There's challenges, right. lots of technical challenges. So I enjoy uh, those challenges. Now, we have a CEO for this company who actually raises the money. I don't okay. have to worry about venture capitalists, nice. yeah. that thing. But, uh, but it's the challenge of every day getting up. And compared to an entrepreneur who maybe is focused on their own company, mm -hmm. I mean, my challenges are in. In uh, precision medicine, yeah. are in drugs, are in medical devices, and so I like the variety. Okay. Personally, I like the variety of, of, of all of that. Nice. So that's what keeps me going. Okay. Oh, so what has been your biggest challenge over the course of your career? The biggest challenge, you mean, uh, aside from breathing and, uh, <laughs> and eating yes. and that sort of thing? Well. I would say, again, I work in a field where there's there's a lot of regulation. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Probably the and most think, regulated. Yeah. Well, yeah, entrepreneurship drugs, fields, uh, drugs are, are highly oh, yeah. regulated, and especially biologic drugs. Yes. Because they're made from living systems, and you can have, right. you know, we've cured your cancer, but we gave you AIDS. Yeah, a lot of things <laughs> can go you know, wrong. That, yeah, you've got to worry about the cancer. <laughs> yeah. like that. I think that for, for me, the biggest challenge has always been to deal with the regulatory mm -hmm. issues. And to deal with the the issues of the people issues mm -hmm. with investors. Okay. Okay. Because uh, one thing is for sure, like 
you, if you don't do your work with your customers, you, you, you're going to end up in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. If you don't do your work with your investors yeah. yep. and keeping them up to date, and when there's a, a problem, a delay in yeah. something, and being right up front, letting them know you run into problems. Okay. And so that's a challenge. Yeah. Dealing with the people you're, who are investing in you and dealing with the product development. Those are, in, and there's no such thing as a straight road. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. The road is always curvy. And, yeah, yeah, and, the entrepreneurial world, like, yeah. And filled with traps and things yeah. like that. So the, the big challenge is really dealing with those. And, and and actually knowing the right people to help you yes. deal with those. And, and over time, you'll learn who the good people are and, find, and, yeah. and, and various so sundry going industries. going off of that, I'm kind of curious. So in your from your perspective, what would the perfect like startup world in terms of you know regulation and uh, and laws be? Like what would your perfect startup world in in the biotech field mm -hmm. what, what 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 would you what's your like you know perfect like us vision you mean, are you are you saying that if i could change something in yeah the like if you could change the fda regulation process? or you know okay. the the funding process or the uh, human trials like Right. What, right. what would your perfect world be in, in that? Well, I, I don't know that there is the possibility of a perfect world. Mm -hmm. I suppose if I were a rapacious businessman, I might say no regulations. I can just <laughs> sell anything I want. Right. But I understand that the regulations are there for yeah, yeah. I would, if I could change things, I would change the speed. I would provide the resources to the regulatory agencies that they need to move products along along more quickly. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think uh, that would be helpful. Another thing that would be helpful would be uh, the investing environment. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think, for example, uh, you know, if I'm going to sell s stock in my company, uh, uh, there are laws about that, yeah. and, and I can only sell, say, to accredited investors. Mm -hmm. um, I think other mechanisms like crowdfunding yeah. and other, which are kind of coming around and becoming yeah. important, I would like there to be no impediments mm -hmm. to, to doing that sort of thing, yeah. uh, especially in very early stages of, exactly. of preclinical development, say we're, if we're talking a biotech product right. or something mm -hmm. like that. So I think it's, it's, it all comes around laws and regulations, mm -hmm. right? I mean, I don't have any issue with the FDA, the tough rules of the FDA. I wish that they would move more quickly. Right. Yes. And I wish we could, uh, I think we could all benefit by that. Oh, absolutely. And, and so, and, and other countries do this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, where I live, Mexico uh, follows, they have an FDA, yeah. but they follow the European model. Mm -hmm. of, of uh, approving and regulation and, and many companies uh, in fact something for entrepreneurs to think about if they're in this field yeah. would be maybe you want to go to Europe mm -hmm. and start or maybe you want to go to because you get you get a product to the market quicker right. yeah. it's not that they're uh, less uh, uh, desirous of having good safe products mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. that they weigh the purpose of the regulatory function is to weigh safety and efficacy Yes. How well does it perform and it's safe? And, and in the U.S., we kind of look at safety much more much, carefully. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, for example, there was a drug about 10 years ago for uh, MS patients, mm -hmm. which was very successful in the U.S. 
and there were two or three million people right. taking this drug and being helped, mm -hmm. right? It, it was called Tisabre. And then uh, there were, but a few people died oh. of, of some kind of a rare viral disorder mm -hmm. that was linked to the yeah. taking of this drug, as I recall. Okay. And three or four people died, and they pulled the drug off the market, and uh, three million people no longer had access to uh, it. See, so we weigh this safety yeah. thing. Now, I'm not saying this is unimportant. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, that's such a small percentage. Uh, it but is. the FDA tends to look at that very carefully, and we'll pull a drug off the market, and which benefits millions of people. I wish we could be more uh, balanced in our mm -hmm. view of that. And I know if the FDA were watching this, they'd probably be uh, getting ready to file a lawsuit or something. Oh, no. but, but, but if I could do that, yeah, I, yeah. I would like to provide them with resources okay. to do a better, to do a quicker and more efficient job. Yeah, I feel like okay. the FDA and a lot of government uh, agencies, they, they have not kept up with the speed in which the business world has has accelerated to now now i mean you know you have companies turning around and you know buyouts and ipos within you know six months two years it, it's so it's it's such a rapid pace now mm -hmm. and they just haven't kept up in terms of regulation or even the laws i mean you know you've seen all, all this like with uh, drones and autonomous cars mm -hmm. and they it's too slow, you know. They they take years and years and years to pass these laws, yeah. and meanwhile, the companies are innovating at breakneck speeds, and going wow. beyond, you know, these agencies. So they're they're having to play catch up to the rest of the the actual yeah. world. What's going on in the well? Well, I agree. I, I think you're pointing to a bigger issue. Oh. It, a very big issue is that this the not just FDA and health mm -hmm. stuff. But um, the way uh, the uh, what's the exponential growth? Yeah, right? yeah. Beyond exponential growth of new technologies like drones or like new computer technologies, yeah. there's implications here. Social media and the Russians and all this kind <laughs> yeah, of yeah. stuff. Um, they have to be. There have to be regulations, and we can't yeah. have drones flying around airports and getting not. sucked into airplane <laughs> yeah. engines. You know. Yeah. But but. It could very well be, and I think it is the case, that the regulations are slow mm -hmm. so that it impedes uh, uh, the development of a, of a field. Mm -hmm. And that could be really uh, dangerous and unhelpful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. be, uh, because if we have more regulations in the United States and people decide they can develop their products in China, yeah. uh, they're going to all be developed exactly. in China yeah. and sold in China, and we're going to fall behind. So. And then all of a sudden, that country is the leader in that field. Yeah, yeah. in the technology. So that's yeah. something we need to think about carefully, but it's a tough problem. Yeah. I'm glad I don't have to worry about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is a tough problem. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to ask you the age-old question. Are entrepreneurs born or are they made? Entrepreneurs are made. Made? Okay. Yes. Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, that is an age-old question. Yeah. Uh, are, uh, no. I, I think because you can teach entrepreneurs. Exactly. We teach entrepreneurism every day. True. In universities across the country. Now, to be sure, uh, entrepreneurs have certain characteristics. Yeah. I mean, personal characteristics. Uh, they're not particularly, uh, they don't worry about risk mm -hmm. so much. 
you know, I, I've been in two or three uh, entrepreneurial situations with small companies where I couldn't make my next payroll. Mm -hmm. And suddenly a tranche of investment came in yeah. and you made your payroll. If you're not comfortable <laughs> yeah. living in that environment, living on the edge, living on exactly. the edge yeah. then maybe you shouldn't be an entrepreneur. Right. But the process of entrepreneurship from ideation to product development to doing all the things you need to do to be successful, mm -hmm. you can teach all this. Okay. And people can learn it and they can follow it. And, and so anyone can be an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. uh, really. Uh, going off of that, uh, do you feel... So comparing entrepreneurship in the U.S. versus China or U.S. versus India... A lot of a lot of their culture teaches you know risk avoidance, yeah. mm -hmm. and you know if you fail once, you know you're a failure for life. Right. Like, you know just so that that like cultural mindset impedes entrepreneurship from developing in oh, those yeah. countries. But I've seen within the last few years actually it's it's been changing because mm -hmm. they actually see you know mm -hmm. that. You know, if you fail, you need to just learn from that mm -hmm. and then uh, change, right? And and make changes right. to avoid those failures next right. time. Okay, and just well, keep on. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, you're raising another good point. The sort of the whole cultural notion mm -hmm. here. That's the reason the United States has been an innovation leader. Right? Yeah. yeah, there's there's two things going on. There's sort of the cultural, the way the culture looks at failure. Yeah. yeah. And in the United States, it's never been considered uh, a blot against you the rest of your life. But the other, the other important thing is access to capital. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. yes. And so in the United States, capital is less averse to risk mm -hmm. yeah. right, than in other countries. Exactly. Uh, and so people are willing to put their money in. This is changing. Uh, but the culture... And the access to capital, and it's sort of like a perfect storm of opportunity yeah. that's taken flower yeah. in the U.S. But that's certainly changing, mm -hmm. uh, particularly in China, oh, yeah. uh, particularly in Europe. Uh, I I don't know a whole lot about India and, mm -hmm. and the culture and the capital risk capital there, but um, when people find out they can make money, yeah. they can they make a difference. That's true. Um, they'll find a way to do it. And it doesn't matter whether they're in India or China or Brazil. Uh, yeah. It'll happen. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point because I don't really, I don't think I would have been able to start Agnes Park in India mm -hmm. yeah. just to get that momentum to where it is would have been a lot more mm -hmm. difficult. And, you know, bringing to that point of cultural changes, you know, it would have been a lot more difficult for me to do something on my own and take such a big risk. Mm -hmm. Even though, you know, my mother is not very accepting of what I do now, <laughs> just because of it's, you know, she prefers it be a stable job with a high paying salary, oh, yeah. so oh, yeah. she doesn't have to worry. I think that's but, just all know, mothers, though. Yeah, that is all mothers. It's <laughs> true. Because <laughs> even my mom, went, like last weekend, it's like, you know, oh, when you graduate, you go get a good job. It's like, what I'm doing this yeah. like company what, yeah. what are you talking about I mean I have to keep reminding her I'm doing my own company yeah yeah and she's like yeah I know but it doesn't pay you <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah okay but it could pay me in a few years a lot just uh, <clears throat> refer her to Bill Gates <laughs> yeah and and say here's a guy who started his own company mm -hmm. or Stephen Jobs or some of the other people yeah. like that and you could be one of those yeah and maybe uh, again I don't think people go into it with that in mind mm -hmm. yeah. they go into it because they see a problem they exactly. want to fix a problem and 
and it turns into something really great mm -hmm. uh, and it doesn't always work yeah. but you know you go on to your next one exactly and uh, and you had a I, we've all had millions of failures yeah. and there's no cultural yep. stigma to failure here yeah exactly uh, and so I, I it, it's for me I've done this all my life it's a wonderful life mm -hmm. uh, I'm happy yeah <laughs> I think that's the beauty of this country is you can fail and get back up and start again absolutely without any hindrance yeah all right and then you want to go? I like, I, I like this question because okay. I think I know it. What's your favorite place in the world? You mean to, to live or visit or something like that? Or, or you mean to, to, to be. be? Yeah, just to be. I think I know. Well, if I have to choose a place to live, I rather like Mexico. Mm -hmm. But if I place to visit, I like, you mean you talk about like a, a country or a city or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. City. Barcelona, Spain. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. I love Barcelona, Spain. Need to visit. I thought you were going to say your, your lake house. Oh. The, the picture you always show at the end of your lectures. Oh, yeah. I well, love that picture. We are very fortunate so to live on a beautiful lake in mm -hmm. Mexico in the mountains That's overlooking so this big, huge lake. Uh, yeah, but uh, and, and if you have to live somewhere, it's a nice place to live. Oh yeah, yeah. But there's cool places everywhere. Right? <laughs> yeah, and Barcelona to me is my. And I need place. to visit. Yeah, I need to visit Barcelona. It's yeah. in my plan somewhere to visit one day. Yeah, yeah. visit. It might be its own part of its own country. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that's true. There's little fisticuffs. Yeah, there. yeah. Catalonia. Yeah, true. Yep. So, right. final so, thing. Final uh, question. What's your, like, going away piece of advice? For entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs, what is, like, one piece of advice you'd like to give? Yeah. There's all, there's the most important thing. I mean, assuming you want to be a successful entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, that, you, know. uh, you need to <clears throat> understand the people who are going to buy your product mm -hmm. and, and what they want. And if, if, if you understand that, you have a chance. If you don't understand that or you refuse to understand that mm -hmm. or, like you say, kind of mm -hmm. put your blinders on, uh, I can guarantee you, you will not be a success. Mm -hmm. I, if you understand what they want and if there is a real need for, yeah. for whatever it is, I can guarantee you, you will be a success. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that. Nice. Cool. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it was a great pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah. And we this, get lots of hits. This was yeah. our guest speaker, Dr. Brandon Price. And I'm Matthew. I'm Tejas. And you can follow, it, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Phase Number One Founder. And we are on also on Facebook, just Phase One Founder. And iTunes, SoundCloud, Facebook, and Twitter. Yeah. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. See you. Bye. Bye.